Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation podcast co-hosted by myself, Lenya Wilson, a black woman, and Alexandra Titalia, a white woman. So we are three episodes down. We just wanted to do a check-in, huh? And see how we're going with all of this. Yes, I'm like in tremendous anxiety. Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that leads me right into the first question. What's been the biggest fear doing this podcast? My biggest fear, I I, I vacillate between two, is that one, even though we're very much trying to speak at the hearth level, which means to me, that means not about trying to like hit you with fact and source and fact and source and that we're talking from an emotional level that somehow though I'm going to be seen and I speak from the eye, you know, that I'm going to be seen as vacuous or not deep enough or too shallow. So I have fears about that, which is probably like a lifetime fear, but I think it's probably any creator has that fear that it will land on, you know. That that's you that's the scholarly person in you. Yes, it's the fake scholarly person in me. Uh, and then the, the second fear is really that um, I'll come off as a white apologist or that I'll be subject to cancel culture in some way. Okay, so so we should parse that because we're yeah. going to talk about ca- cancel culture because right. you know you and I have very different opinions on that. So that's how I'm feeling. And then I'm excited. You know, I'm excited. I, I, I do think that this is something that I want to cut through the noise. I mean, this is okay. So I'm even scared answering this. So what I'm starting to sense on social media, in the news, is that it's just negative, 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 negative. And the fact is, is that it's very hard for, I just know as a teacher, and I learned this the hard way as a teacher, is that if you just keep on all the negative things, people shut down emotionally. That's just not a good way to educate. And so what I'm seeing sort of happening is that it's just bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff. You do this wrong and you do this wrong and this is bad. And it could all be true. But the shutdown is going to be real. And I hope this podcast can cut through that shutdown and sort of celebrate growth in a positive way. And and the sense is, is that in this struggle, what isn't being talked about, which is so important to me, because it's been my great unlearning, and it's not about race, it's about abundance. And, And the concept is, is that I grew up with a scarcity mindset. And in that, so for those of you who don't know what a scarcity mindset is, it's just coming from a source of lack, that I grew up not blaming any parent, but certainly grew, growing up in a family that was the, you know, my grandparents were poor, my, on my dad's side at least, and my dad was sort of the American success story. And so for me, I still grew up with a sense of lack because my dad was grappling with his sense of lack, I'm sure. But I grew up in a zero-sum way, like thinking that, you know, you get yours and if you get yours, you leave somebody else out. Or if somebody else is successful, you probably won't be successful. And I mean, part of that might be true. I mean, I was a, you know, a serious dancer for a while. I played the flute and the idea is, you know, if somebody makes first flute, you're not first flute, you're, you're, you're second. And so the idea is 
and we cherish that. It's about sports. Either you make the team or you don't make the team. And so I kind of grew up with the idea that there are winners and losers. And really, as a writer, that became, it's one of the things that's held me back the most because I believe every everybody else's success means I'm shit. And it's taken me a long time to think there's enough, there's enough room at the table for everybody. And I really do believe that. In writing, I, I, I really believe that. I've really engaged that there's enough room at the table for everyone. That said, that's what I think white fragility needs to be teaching in a positive way, because there's room for everyone at the table. Like, so when people, when people say, wait, but listen to my problems. Yes, you have problems. We're going to raise everybody. If we raise Black Lives Matter right now, because they are, Black lives are so treated um, with hostility and inequity in this country, we will all rise. Like, just be less selfish. Um, And I worry that that message isn't getting across, even though I know that's kind of what everybody means. And maybe not everybody means that. You know, so that's, and I, and you sense it in the newspapers. It's a little exhausting. And I think if we don't move towards a sense of abundance, the backlash is going to be real and not helpful. And it'll be more polarizing rather than we can really do this together. Because as much as I'm really excited that folks in their twenties don't seem to be sensing this at all and to seem, seem to be really woke and positive moving the people in their twenties aren't in power. So we need to be able to convince people in power of this concept of abundance. And so, so anyway, my fears are sort of around that. And what is, what's, what do you feel is positive and uplifting about this podcast? I hope that our podcast is giving people a sense of what specific things they can do to move forward. Everybody can certainly read more. Everybody can do Rachel Cargill's The Great Unlearning, which is free. But I also think that being really mindful of where your capitalist money goes, like, and that just means support corporations that have social value agendas or have good social value agendas and have um, diversity and have diversity, but I'll speak even more broadly, just support your own values. Like I yes. agree that it should be support that, but let's say if you're ranking, what's the most important thing to me. And you say climate change is the most important thing. Then I just think, okay, like that's where you put your dollars. Like I am all for if everybody were to be mindful about where they spent their money, again, in the concept of abundance, everything would rise. Because I don't want to, for, I mean, like race really matters right now, but the climate is really matters too. And we, we can't actually just now totally, like this is so the American way, let's just swing and deal with this and let's put every other issue and forget about it. And I, I don't think we can do that. That's a fear that I have, that we, that we actually, it's everything. It's everything. What is positive about this is I feel that we can talk honestly about our fears and how we want to move forward and give people specific ways to move forward that really just involve empathy and honesty and authenticity. I, something that happened in an earlier episode where you said, oh, it would be a teaching moment and that's forgivable. 
I really think that's what's really important is the ability to, to ask for forgiveness and forgive. That's what I find super important. It's just like the Getty images. I think you mentioned it to me. They did a statement about Black Lives Matter and said that, you know, they haven't done well enough and that they're going to do better. And that, for me, that's the beginning. Like, that's where I want this to be, is that to empower white people to be able to not only check their privilege, but discover their privilege. And I think that you learn by making mistakes. So I'm hoping in this also is that as white people learn and discover how white privilege affects everything, that the black folks who are already tired can give us a little bit more latitude and give us forgiveness as we discover, rather than just forgiving and saying, you didn't really come to it, but I'm just gonna forgive you and walk through your white space anyway. Because I'm hoping that this is what will make the difference. That's my hope that this podcast does a little bit of that. I think that's beautiful. And I think we're on the way, honestly. I mean, if anyone listens to our conversations, you know, knowing that I'm black and you're white and we're able to have these conversations, right? And then how often have you completely swayed my opinion on something or I've swayed your opinion on something? Yeah. Because we come from a place of love and abundance and we are, we want to learn. We want to learn. I think so. And I think, I hope that people, I hope that people can send us emails and this is sort of, you know, I think I've put it out on a, on a few things, but people will email us and say like, well, I have this question on how to move forward. I have this question. And so we did an episode on interracial friendships and we came to sort of the conclusion that you need to have something in common that really is interesting to you in an authentic way and, and interesting to the other person in an authentic way. And then you can bond authentically over that thing and maybe a, a friendship blossoms. But that's going to be really hard in the fact that we, we do live segregated lives. We walk through the world's one one person being cognizant of their color all the time, another person not being cognizant of their color all the time, and that's going to make friendship complicated. But to sort of to sort of take the onus and the pressure off of white people to say, I if I don't have a black friend, there's something wrong with me, which isn't true. But also to give black people a break and say it's really okay and there's nothing bad about just saying you know, you're not invited to my weekend barbecue because I'm tired at the end of the week. And that's healing in its own right to just say that's where we are right now. I think but so. cancel culture is real to me and I'm fearful of it. Like I am okay. all of all right. Let's go there. around cancel culture because <laughs> I am not, I think that is the antithesis to moving forward. And I know I'm speaking generationally. I because the younger generation seems to be really okay with it. But it, and as a professor, I have to say, it, it scares the bejesus out of me. So I'm not from the younger generation and I'm okay with it. But I'm okay with cancel. I, because I'm, I guess I'm just not, I, I don't know. I think it's a fragility thing. I'm not fragile enough to think that if somebody decides that, you know, oh, Lenya's done, can't be bothered with her, that 
that I still, I still mean something. I still mean something. I still have an opinion. I am still here. Just because one person or five people decide that they don't want to hear my voice doesn't mean that my voice is not. But what about the larger scheme of the? So when I think about cancel culture, and I'm going to talk about it in context of the Me Too movement. Okay. Um, and I'm going to talk about it in the context of sexual harassment, not sexual assault. And okay. people need to understand that Me Too has a spectrum. And for me, a lot of the screaming memes, a lot of social media people are conflating and saying there's no difference. And I, I disagree with that in the sense that sexual harassment is a tort, meaning you can sue another person for money and sexual assault or rape can also be a tort, but is a crime. And what I'm finding made me uncomfortable is that in the Me Too movement, behavior that wouldn't even have been construed as sexual harassment at the time those whatever statements were uttered in the 2020 frame would be considered sexual harassment. And then that person is basically canceled for behavior that was acceptable in 1991. That, was it acceptable in 1991? Yes, it was. Or it wasn't. And if it wasn't acceptable, it wasn't socially acceptable, but it wasn't a tort and there was nothing wrong. And that that's how many years ago was that? That somebody could lose their job over something bad they did at 30, giving no chance for growth, giving no chance for human making an error and the fact that that person was acting technically at the time within the law. So that really bothers me. And that makes me uncomfortable because that is just saying we're actually, it's not, it's anti-abundance because it's basically saying you don't get credit for growing. If you did something stupid 30 years ago, that technically not a crime, technically not even a tort, but now under today's lens might be considered a tort. We're let's run let's, you out of town. I, I really struggle with that because okay. that's let But let's unpack that. Your house. Okay, so your house. <laughs> let, let's unpack that for a minute. So if somebody is behaving like a, um, like a, a womanizing bum <laughs> in 1991 and uh, sexually harassing women. No, you're already making the assumption saying sexual harassing. What I'm saying is it wouldn't have amounted to sexual Okay, so maybe, all right. So then let's say he's not, he's not sexually harassing in those terms in 1991, but he was making a woman feel uncomfortable by the terms that he said or the things that he said. She was uncomfortable, but because in that day and age, we didn't, we didn't see it as that. Right. He's still uncomfortable. Sure. And, and she still feels marginalized. Sure. So he has done this. He's gotten away with this. He doesn't know that it's wrong. He know that it's wrong. So it's, right. And, but then he continues. No, no, no. But you said got away with it, which is demonizing okay. a person who isn't at the time doing anything wrong. Okay, but he's still making someone feel 
And that's totally true. So, but wait, like I've had very, I've had lots of men ask me out, not sexually harassing, but ask me out. It makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm going to say no. Like again, but I'm talking about this. I'm talking about, we're talking about the exact, so a sexual harassment, something that would be considered sexual harassment in 2020. We're talking about it in 1991. So let's say, you know, well, let's not talk about what the standard is because that I sh- I could research and we're not going to, but just keep going with Yeah, you. so let's say it's Why the same we- thing. And this this person, this man has done it and, 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 you know, I won't say he's gotten away with it, but it's something that's normal and he continues to do it. Sure. And now he's keeps doing it. And now no, we're no. at 2020. Now, no, no, no. Let's just say like it's 30 years. Now that person is older. That okay, so that person is older and he's not doing it. But anymore. he still doesn't know that what he did was wrong to he that person. Up. So there's no frame to say that he could have grown from it because he didn't know it was wrong. So now 30 years it. later, yeah, it's hap- he's still doing it. Maybe he's not still doing it. It doesn't But we don't know. Well, we don't know. So but I think in my hypothetical, I'm saying he doesn't do it anymore. Okay, so in your hypothetical, he doesn't do it anymore. But that woman can still say that part of his character... Over 30 years? Because I'm going to tell you something. Barack Obama against gay marriage. Are we going to absolutely not give him credit for the growth? I credit his growth. Because you're allowed, you're allowed, to, you're allowed to grow. You are allowed to grow. But, but there's like proof of that growth over time. But that's because he's famous and he was a politician. If you're just an average Joe, how do you know if he's grown or not? But if you're I mean, an average Joe, canceled. would you be canceled? Like an average Joe doesn't get canceled. We're talking, we're talking someone that is out there. They are the ones that get canceled. The people who are in the public eye. The average Joe does not get canceled. That's not true. So people get lose their jobs. People lose. People are losing their jobs over stuff like this. But over they can fight that. But why should you have to fight? that because if you have grown then it should be something that it's worth fighting for but if you haven't grown and you're like well i did it 30 years ago but i still believe if i could get away with it i'll do it today you haven't grown and you should be canceled but if you have grown then it should be worth it to you to fight that i have grown as a person and this isn't right that just leaves me with such a sick feeling about society that then everything has to be litigated. Like but, that's but, what you're saying. Like that's so, just kind of gross. I, I mean, know, but but Alex, you want to live in where where it's like anything that you do 30 years ago could come back and haunt you, and then you have to fight for the life that you've worked hard to earn and Alex, show your growth in order to keep your living. Like and and to fight it in with public shaming. I. But Alex, this happens to black people all the time. Black people get hired. Black people get hired because of what they did. White men get hired because of what they can bring. So I feel as a as a black woman, I am constantly having to prove my growth. Constantly. So it doesn't bother me to have to talk to people like, no, I've moved from this position and I am now able to get to this position. And I guess maybe that's part of it, why I, I feel like it's okay to fight 
because I'm always fighting. I'm always fighting for everything. And so I guess I don't mind having to fight to prove that I've moved forward or fight to prove that I'm worth this or fight because I always have to fight. So maybe that's the big difference. I'm not fragile in that way because I know that if I don't fight for it, I won't get it. And I want it and I deserve it. Because if if like Trump can become president, then I can become the CEO of a Fortune 500 company because I he's agree. It, you know, and the uh, I mean, I saw a perfect, perfect meme about this. And, and this is something that women need to think about. If Kanye West can decide that he wants to run for president with absolutely no understanding of what that job is, that is a perfect example of men just applying for any other any job because they think they can do it. Whereas a woman will look at the job and decide there's 25 things that they don't know how to do, so they won't go for it. Yeah, I, I absolutely I think, agree with that. I, I think we need to learn to fight harder. And if we're just fighting, even, I mean, I know it's a difference of fighting for something you did 30 years ago and just fighting basically for your basic life, but it is still a fight that you have to be prepared to do. I I mean, I like that. I mean, that, that actually makes some sense to me where for me, I can hear you and say, Hey, like white people, you're going to actually have to earn what you're going to get and not just have it be a lot of white people actually work for what they get. I mean, like a lot. Like, of course, they. I do. I am not. not that way. That we, we don't have to deal with the senses that race for white people is invisible along those lines, and it's not right. another thing you need to overcome. So I totally under I understand what we're talking about here. Just to make sure our listeners understand <laughs> what we're talking about here. But in that sense, that white people are going to have to toughen up in a sense and start to. Uh, be able to defend and prove up what they do. Because it is something that historically they don't do. They don't have to. You never have to say, well, very rarely do you have to fight in that way. I think you, I I fight for it to prove on, on face of it that you're qualified or fight for your job. I don't know. I think that depends on the type of job. I mean, lawyers traditionally like associates have to fight for their jobs every single year. It's set up as a zero sum game because you're, it's the amount of hours you bill. And if you don't bill your amount of hours, you have to defend your work. So I don't, I don't actually, I think you're overgeneralizing. I think a lot of people, regardless of race, have to defend their jobs every single day. As a teacher, I get evaluations. I feel like I defend my job every single year. And I'm only on a contract. So I also feel like every year they could decide, no more me. And so I feel like I got to work for it all the time. But I do understand your point that fighting is just part of life and that we're going to have to get used to it. But I, I have to say that makes me sad. And, I, and because I don't think I would like to see it so that you wouldn't have to fight. Like that's where I would like the world to go. I would like to go to a world where people didn't always have to fight, that there would, and this is partly why I stopped practicing because I didn't want to be a part of that conflict all the time. It was just- a It's exhausting. Of, yeah, exactly. And I found it too exhausting. I found it exhausting for my psyche. And I found being able to sort of forgive and move forward was easier. And that's sort of, has defined me forever. And so I find the fear of cancel culture to be, I am fragile that way. I, I am very fearful that way. 
when the internet first like came out and Rape My Professor first came out, I got to say, I had my head between my knees and Eric had said to me, he's like, I think you should quit teaching. I I just don't think you're going to be able to handle this because I just lived in fear of bad reviews to be in the public domain. But you're like the best professor. Everyone loves you. I have never met a former student that doesn't rave about you. But that's now 22 years later, and I and I do have haters. They're they're out there. Yeah, um, but they're haters, and yeah, they and they should awesome. be canceled. <laughs> well, they think I should be canceled. <laughs> but here's the thing: I did make my peace with it. I did toughen up. I will say that for the person who's done something 30 years ago, and whether or not the evidence is clear, whether the person's grown, not if they're still continuing to do it, because that's different. They're continuing to do something and it's now actionable as a tort or as a crime. Hey, out there, let it happen. What I think the movement or any movement has to acknowledge is that if we look back so far into a lot, you know, without any forgiveness or inquiry, like, have you changed? Like, with inquiry of open curiosity before we start canceling you, we can out you, but yes. maybe we don't cancel a person and maybe we have intellectual curiosity. Like you did all this stuff. Did you grow? Because if the person says, yeah, man, I was just trying to get a date, but God, did I, I must've made that woman so uncomfortable. So then we hold, and and that person we hold up, but no, you're right. We should have more curiosity and there should be, I too don't think that we should be uh, talking to someone, uh, talking about something that someone did 30 years ago, 10 years ago. The the closer it gets to present time and the closer it gets to where we are in societal values right now, it's the same thing. Like if you were to, I hope we are generous enough that so many people came on board gay rights by gay rights, then okay, civil domestic partnerships. Okay. Then civil unions. Okay marriage. And for those of us who just jumped to love is love, are you kidding? Just marriage equality for all? Hooray for us. But for those who had the slower journey, I still want to be able now looking back to welcome them in. Yes. Because otherwise it's otherwise you're always polarizing. Otherwise we don't celebrate we don't celebrate growth. And and I think we need to remember that growth, especially with, again, when you take in the fact that, you know, older generations, you get a little set in your way as you sort of have foreign beliefs and you go on a journey. Um, And I want 80 year olds to evolve. So of course they're pro-gay marriage. It might take them longer than it's going to take a 20 year old. It might take somebody who's growing up in a tiny enclave um, without any exposure to, you know, be like that person's in college before that person has that experience. I think we need to be able to allow people to grow and then welcome them into the fold. Otherwise, but you can still grow while you're being canceled. I I honestly think cancel culture is not as bad as people think. I think that people are making a big deal about it. I really do. All right. So let me ask. So I totally feel like you're not lit if you haven't been canceled at least once. Okay. Tell me. 
can tell me what that means. All right, first of all, what do you mean by lit? Am I am I lit? I don't know. You're lit. <laughs> if you get the teacher reviews that you get, you're lit. Okay. No, I don't know. Yeah, well. Part of it is okay, someone read you. They told you that you were, let's just say you were racist, you're a horrible individual, you need to learn better. You take it in, you go away because you're canceled now. You do the work. Three years later, you meet that person in the street again and you try to engage in a conversation about your growth. You've been canceled, but you grew from that because you were canceled. Yeah, I mean, I do agree. But what is the chance? Here's the thing, and I guess this is, (laughs) this is funny. I've been sitting here this entire conversation being so hopeful about humans, and now I'm going to come out. <laughs> We're going to talk aliens? Yes! No, I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Let's go there. Let's do this science fiction. What dimension well, are yeah, we? Not yet. I'm just going to say, like, if that person's been canceled and they were publicly shamed and, you know, they've, they've had some form of loss, whether it's a job or friends or community, whatever, what is the chance that that person is actually going to learn and just not become more polarized in his or her viewpoints? It's a 50-50, girl. You just don't know. You just don't know. I mean, that's the whole, that's, that's human nature. Isn't there a way to up that percentage? So the chances are more likely that that person would choose to learn rather than not. I mean, but it go, there's too many factors involved. We don't know how they were brought up. We don't know what their core values are. I mean, it's a 50, 50. I think that it's wonderful to think that everyone can change and everyone can become a better person. But the fact is, a lot of people don't and a lot of people a lot of people are just going to be the awful people that they are <laughs> you know and that's just get- and that's how they're going to die alone and in their homes eaten by cats and that's what they deserve so i'm just saying we- i mean it's really wonderful for us to have this like beautiful view that er- that everyone is going to learn and move on but the fact is we're going to reach a small percentage of people who are going to listen and are going to take what we say and try their best to move forward with it. And right. even if it's 10 people, I'm happy. So what are your fears? So I actually don't have fears around this other than the fact that a lot of the times when I listen to myself, when we're editing and everything, that I grammatically have the worst <laughs> grammar in the world. And Often, I don't know, I feel like I sound weird, but those are the only things, and I just have to get over that. I have to get over that. (laughs) I just have to get over that. So I try not to have fears around it. I mean, I've had nothing but positivity come out of the initial drop that we did. Actually, the love that I have received about this has been overwhelming to me. Overwhelming. Uh, um, people that I don't even know that I'm just like Instagram friends with have responded saying that they're sending this to their friends and that they're excited about this opportunity to hear our views, to hear real people talk and not just newscasters talk about this. And so I'm excited. I think this is a, a real learning moment, a changing moment in history for everyone, including us. I agree. You always make me feel better, but I am fragile. Like I am, I am fragile. Which is so weird. Fragility. I just mean I'm fragile. Yes. It's so weird because you, to me, come off as the strongest woman. 
yeah. but you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, um, I don't want to take away from that. I know that everyone has their moments of, of being fragile. Well, the thing is, is that I, I don't think I ever let my fragility or fear ever get in the way of anything I do. So, but they're, so they're then not. you are strong. You are yeah, strong. I am strong. Like I will just stay up all night. And I joke with my students about this all the time. Like I, if I've done something in class that I know didn't go well, I will stay up all night and worry about it. And I will call it like self-flagellation. Like how long should I self-flagellate before I can move on? And I'll tell, and I tell everybody this and for listeners, please use it if you can, but like how set a timer, like how long are you going to be angry at yourself? Set the timer, go. And then when it's done, put it on the shelf. Well, here's where astrology is to my, to my benefit as a Libra. I let things go in two minutes. So what's interesting, and this is, we should probably do another episode on astrology. Yes, I am very into, um, I'm getting into astrology very much so. And obviously through tarot, which is another shared interest that you and I have. And I am Sag, which makes total sense. Yes. But I'm Capricorn rising, which makes total sense. Yes. And then I'm Virgo moon, which makes total, total sense. So I have a lot of nervous energy, the Virgo in me, and yep. I always need to be independent, free, and on an adventure, the Sag in me, but <laughs> I'm judging and brutal, which is the Capricorn. <laughs> and so I, I remember having a reading done where the person's like, it, it's got to be difficult in your head. <laughs> <laughs> So what are you, so you're a Libra, but that makes sense. I mean, you're even keeled. Most of my closest friends in my life, by the way, have been Libras. Oh, well, we're pretty fantastic people. I have to admit. <laughs> you must say so yourself. <laughs> I must say so myself. I have never met a Libra I didn't like, even as a Libra. What are the characteristics that make you feel so good about that? I'm not sure. You know, I haven't really gotten into astrology, but it's something that I'm thinking about delving into deeper. Unfortunately, it's going to be hard for me to find out more because my mom doesn't remember when I was born. She doesn't remember a lot. So I'm going to have to figure this out. All of the new birth certificates don't put the time of birth anymore. Actually, I can offline, I'm going to direct you to the website. Okay. You can request your birth certificate, the actual one, that will have the time on it. Oh, awesome. Because my mom has lost that one. And I, I have a birth certificate that I've needed, obviously. Sure you do. No. I, <laughs> right. I am not from America. Yet. <laughs> so I finally found, I finally got one though, because poor Kadeem needed it for his uh, proof of American citizenship. Kadeem, for our listeners, is my beautiful, amazing son that lives in Australia uh, he's Australian, but he was born in America. So he needed to get his American passport sorted so he can come and go and visit me as he needs. Though through this corona, God knows I won't see him now probably for 18 months. Thank you, President Trump. Yes, that is true. <laughs> but also when he was elected, Kadeem also said to you, not sure I feel safe coming to this country. Yes, he so. said that several times that he wasn't safe coming here since he's been elected. You know, I mean, but then... Uh, I mean, this is a, 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 probably a topic for another episode. 
But when you live outside of the United States, one of the warnings about traveling to the United States as a person of color and a black person, one of the major warnings is that you can be assaulted or killed by the police. So there is a travel warning for black people in Australia traveling to the United States. So this is also one of those things with him that he's, you know, he would worry about. And it's, it's rightfully so. Every time he goes out of the house when he is visiting me, I worry, is he going to come back? And I try not to be that. My, my son is an adult. So I try not to be that parent that's going to text him every five minutes. But, you know, the whole entire time that he is out doing whatever it is he's doing, which he's completely at his right to do as a 26 year old man, I worry. And so like, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. That's how I feel. And I feel really bad for all of my friends and family who are in that similar position. And I feel even worse for those parents whose children don't return. Well, the thing that's interesting to me, I, it's sort of, it's funny. I, at a point that I wanted to add in the beginning of your statement, but now taking it back to sort of the concept of empathy and healing is that I think the one thing that can bind and start to heal this country is that, is that parents, depending on the color of your skin, have different fears, dramatically different fears about their children. And if there is anything that can heal this country and make more white people understand is that fear that you have for your children. Because no, every single white person, I don't care who they are, if you were able to really ask that question, the answer would likely be, oh my God, I would never want that person to have that fear. We need to be able to take that fear away. And then from that point, everything can cascade. If every parent thought that way. We would have change. Need advice? Have a question? Find us at womenbridgingthegap.com. We're happy to address your problems in our podcast, anonymously, of course. Spread the word by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, tune in for my interview with Alexandra and get to know this fantastic woman more intimately. Oh, we're going to have to cut that. I can't fucking say that. That is just, I can't say it. That I just, <laughs> I just can't say that and have a job.